All right, good evening. It's a big mitzvah to give tzedakah. We know that's one of the most uh, important mitzvahs. Teaches us it's a mitzvah, the rice is a mitzvah in the Torah to give stalker. The Shulchan Aruch in Simon Reish Mem Test discusses the, in Yoridea, discusses the parameters of exactly how much stalker somebody is supposed to give. And this is an entryway to uh, the entire subject of Maiser Kesafim, a very uh, popular subject. You get a lot of Shilos. A lot of Shilos come in when people ask, oh, am I supposed to give uh, this amount? I received a Yerusha, I received a gift. Am I supposed to give my six up? And what if I received goods and not money? Do I give the, the Maisa right away? Uh, so the question is, how? what aspect of the midst of Tzedakah is the Arisa's Maisa Ksafim, the Arisa? What's uh, the nature of uh, this uh, obligation that people are uh, very uh, punctilious about? and very meticulous regarding its observance, so where does it all come from? So the Shulchan Aruch says that in order to ensure that the Mitzvah of the is fulfilled, every single person, even a poor person, even a poor person who might be a recipient of stock, is supposed to give at least a shlishis a shekel every single year, so I from Sukkim, supposed to give at least a third of a shekel every single year. That's not my six up, a third of a shekel is very, a very small amount of money. A shekel right now, the value of a shekel is approximately based on grams of uh, silver. Uh, it would be approximately a little bit less than 20 grams of silver, but let's say 20 grams of silver, so it would be approximately uh, $20 right now would be, a, would, would be a shekel. I know because I'm a Kohen, so I every now and then have to do a pidyon bank. So you have to keep track of the value of five shkolem at any point in time. So five shkolem right now is very close to $100. So to, for one shekel is uh, approximately $20 right now. So shlishis a shekel would be a little bit less than $7. So that's in order to fulfill the mitzvah daraisa, that's all a person would have to give. The shach says that uh, this is why the minute developed for the gabayim to go around in shul to collect uh, like, the small amounts of money from people could be a little puta that person somebody will contribute a penny uh, an agara some very small amount of money when the gabai goes around and show to collect you have uh, communities nowadays that people make some more money so Baruch Hashem people are able to give more money they give a dollar each time but even it used to be people would just give a coin or something like that and the gabayim didn't go around every single day like they do nowadays they would only go around on Monday and Thursday so he asked, what was the source that they would only go around Monday and Thursday? Because they had more time, because it was Kriya Satora, so there was more time to go around. He says, no, the reason why they would only go around two times a week is because if somebody gave the smallest coin two times a week over the course of an entire year, so then it would come out to, at least, to be at least a shlishis a shekel. So this way you'd be able to determine and ensure that even somebody who didn't give for the Yisker appeal, somebody who didn't uh, give stock on other occasions, that at least uh, if you add up uh, the little t- tiny coins that they would put in the pushka every single Monday and Thursday, it would add up to a shlishis a shekel. So that is in order to fulfill uh, mitzvah tzedakah. Uh, so it sounds from the Mechaber that to giving more than that is not necessarily uh, an obligation on a deraisa uh, level. So where does this idea, my six up and giving one-tenth of one's earnings to tzedakah, what's the nature of this uh, obligation? What's the nature of uh, this hanhaga? 
of this uh, observance. So the Pasuk in Devarim, also another Pasuk in Parashat Re'et, talks about taking tithes. That you're supposed to take maestros. You're supposed to take maestros with respect to your field. You take maestros rishon that's given to a levi, and then you take maestros sheni, uh, which is uh, produce uh, another one tenth of produce that you would uh, on the first, second, fourth, and fifth years of the shemitah cycle you would take to Yerushalayim to eat, and the third and the sixth years of the shemitah cycle you would give it to poor people. So there was a one tenth amount that was given in terms of a person's crops, a person's grains, at least on the third and sixth year of the Shemitah cycle. But even Maeser Rishon that would go to Leviim was also to support individuals who didn't necessarily have so much panasa, they didn't have uh, the land, portions in the land like uh, the rest of uh, the Jewish people. So the, from this Pasuk, uh, we have uh, the following Gemara in Tainus, Daf and Aleph, Ashkechei, Rabbi Yochanan, the Yenuka, Deresh Lakish, Amalei, Emeli, Pesukech. The Rabbi Yochanan uh, found a, a little baby, a Reish Lakish, and said, I want you to tell me a pasuk. Amalei aser te aser. Amalei umay aser te aser. So, the, so this child, this small child, knew the pasuk aser te aser. So Rabbi Yochanan asked, what's the, the meaning? So you, what did you learn in Cheder that aser te aser teaches you? Amalei aser bishotis asher. You should take maestros. So that will make you rich. That uh, there's a, like a segula that if you take maizos, you tithe, then that is a segula that it's going to make you rich. So the tosfos on this gemara quotes from a sifrei from a medrash halacha. Hachi isa b'sifrei aser te'aser is called v'uasarecha yotzeis tadesh shanashana eni elat v'uasarecha shechayev b'maizir. So I know that on your crops you're supposed to take tithes. Ribesu prakmatia. But let's say that you made the loans in which you are receiving a a, a profit. Because you loaned out with interest, you're not allowed to loan out with interest to your fellow Jews, assuming that you loaned out with interest to non-Jews, and you're allowed to collect interest. So, prakmatio, you made uh, some profit in your business dealings, your masumatan, your prakmatio, the choshavibachim, and any other profits that a person earns, any other income that a person earns, minayan, how do we know that the person is supposed to give tithes from all of that? Tamad Lomar, es call, because it says, aser te aser, es call tu aserech, an extra word, call all. All of what you have. So not only that which grows on the ground, not only the, the produce that grows in Eretz Yisrael that you're supposed to type, but Kol Tvuasar, Kol teaches me that even uh, the business dealings, even the ribbis and the prakmatia, you're supposed to tithe. Aser, of course, means one-tenth. That's how much maiser is. Maiser means the very word. Maiser, aser te aser, means that you take one-tenth. So here, from we see, we see from here that there is a basics, a basis from this pasuk in the Parshas Re'e that the Sefri derives that there is an obligation of giving a maiser, of giving maiser on that amount as well. Uh, so, uh, and then the Tosos has a long story about how if a person recognizes that they're supposed to give this amount, uh, so then they're going to make a, a large amount of money and they'll give one tenth that goes to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But Otherwise, if they don't give the money, it tells a story of a rich man who always made a lot in terms of the produce of his field, because he always gave a one-tenth measure from the Elaf Kurin that he made, 1,000 Kurin, 1,000 large measures of produce that he would make from his field every single year, and uh, he would always separate 100 uh, portions uh, for Meiser, and then one year came and he didn't do it, and then he only ended up with 100, uh, what, that, uh, the son, the son took over the field from the father and the son, 
that were repeated what the father did at first, but then he said, well, why should I bother doing this? I'm making so much. And then he only made uh, one-tenth of what he had made before. And the neighbors came and they explained to him that this is because the uh, beforehand, um, they, basically he had been the Balabayas, because Hashem made him the Balabayas over his field, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the Kohen. And uh, the, so the Kohen would get uh, the, 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 one ten, the one-tenth. But now that he did not uh, separate from his field, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu took over, uh, took over the field. He took over the field. And, and uh, therefore he became the Balabayas, so the thousand measures belong to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and this fellow only got the one hundred measures. And this is what it means when it says, "Vishes Kaddish Lo Yiyu Klomar Kishenu Mapish Kahogin Lo Yelo Elo Kachim Klomar Hamaisa." That a person will end up with only the Kachim. He'll only end up with the portion that's supposed to be given to the holy people, the Kohanim, the the Aniim, and so forth. He'll only end up with that portion if he doesn't end up giving the Maisa himself. And the fact that the Tosfos connects. This idea, this homedrish, which is speaking about the bracha, or lack thereof, that comes when a person fulfills a meiser, the regular meisros, meiser tvua, uh, or does not fulfill it, as the case may be, and connects this to uh, the uh, notion of meiser ani, indicates uh, that there is sort of the same type of uh, segula nature, shall we say, uh, with respect to meiser, uh, with respect to... Uh, well, not only Maisa Oni, but Maisa Ksopim, a Segula aspect that comes uh, to giving one-tenth of all of one's uh, earnings, all of one's profits, every single year, Shana, as the Pasuk says, Shana, Shana, every single year to uh, to poor people, that, that, that there is uh, some type of uh, a special protection that you get from it. In addition to it being derived from the, the Psukim, it seems like there's a metaphysical notion to it as well. In fact, Rebchaim Velozhener, uh, writes uh, that uh, there is uh, a protection from Hezek that a person uh, receives when they give Maiser Tzofim, uh, that there is uh, some type of uh, special um, special segula that a person uh, receives uh, from Shemayim, that, that they are they are rescued from from damage, that uh, they're rescued uh, from bad things happening to them. So maybe that's what Tostos is uh, getting at over here as well. Now, does that mean since it's derived from a pasuk in Parshas Re'eh, that this is the Chiyav Deraisa. We just said that the Mechaber uh, in Shulchan Aruch seems to say only a Shlishis HaShekel is a Chiyav Deraisa. So maybe what the Mechaber means is, well, if you have more money, so you should give one-tenth of everything that you have. But even if you're very, very poor, so you have to scrounge up enough money that you'll give a Shlishis HaShekel. So it's not necessarily Mechaber that this wouldn't be a Din Deraisa, at least for those who could, um, who could afford it. So this is a whole discussion in the postgame, and there are basically there are three different views. There are three basic views. One is that, well, we have uh, this uh, Sifri. The Sifri uh, indicates uh, that it's a real Dindar Isa that's derived from a Pasuk. So therefore, we learn from here that it's a, uh, that it's a Dindar Isa. And uh, there's, uh, the Beis Yosef brings another Pasuk in his uh, commentary to the very same simon in Shulchan Aruch Reish Memtes, he brings the Pasuk with respect to Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu gave a vow to Hashem that if he will, he will manage to, to be safe after his encounter with, uh, with Esau and with all of his various um, uh, travails in life. He's called, he was on his way to Laban's house and he was running away from Esau and uh, if he would be able to run away and uh, get on with his life, 
and return and be safe. So he said, Whatever you give me, I'm going to give Meiser. Sounds like Yaakov also spoke about one-tenth. And the Dasikadim on that Pasuk, if you look in your Mikros Gedolos, says, Medrash, it quotes another Medrash, Yaakov Titain lost his Masim in a moment. That this was an old Takana. This idea of Meiser Kesopim was, uh, was established at least as a Takana from the days of Yaakov Avinu. And this is quoted uh, as um, the Beis Yosef quotes this um, quotes this Pasuk and quotes this Pasuk as we will see that it teaches us about Meiser Moment and also teaches us Aser Asrenu Lach that the Meiser can be double Aser. Could be Aser plus Asrenu, which is one ten plus one ten equals how much? Two tenths, which is one fifth, right? So you can give up to one fifth. We learn from that pasuk. The Gra brings a Yerushalmi, which derives from a pasuk Kabedas Hashem Mihonacha, that the Maaser Ani is Shayach even with respect to the money that a person earns. So it seems like we have a bunch of psukim which are in the mix. So there is one opinion. Uh, that holds that Maisek Sofim is a Dinda Araisa. Second opinion says, no, even though there's a Sifrei, really the, the Dinda Araisa, that we say that you would not be Mekayim Mitzvah Sitzdaka, is that you got to give at least a, a Shlishis HaShekel. But the idea of giving one-tenth of all your income, so it's like an Asmachta, that uh, we that ascribe it to a particular Pasuk. We also derive it as something which is, was done by Yaakov Avinu, but it's only a Dinda Rabbanan. It's a Dinda Rabbanan. And then there's a third. Uh, there's a third opinion. The third opinion is so the one who says that it's a dinder abanan of David Oppenheim, who was a contemporary of the Chavos Yard. They used to correspond a lot. He was a Roman Nicholsburg. So he thought that um, from the, the pasuk, it's clear that it should be at least a, a din derabanan. And the, the Taz, the Taz also says, since we learn from this uh, Medrash Halacha, it must be a, that it's a real Chiyub. So one interpretation of the Taz, which seems to be that of David Oppenheim, is that it's a Din Rabbanan. And others say, no, we can interpret that the, the Taz, who says that it's an absolute obligation, learns that it's a Din Daraisa, and that's the Mashmal, certainly of the Vilna Gon, that it would be a Din, uh, that it would be a Din Daraisa. And then the third opinion is the opinion of the Bach. The Bach says, nah, it's not a Din Daraisa, and it's not a Din Rabbanan. So it's not a dindaraisa, it's not a dindarabanan. Look at source 21 on page 4. The Bach and Simon Shin Lam and Aleph, it says that, Very end of the Bach, he says, there's no actual obligation, not on a daraisa level, not on a dindarabanan level. So you look at source 20, the Taz says, uh, quotes from the Bach. The Bach was the father in law of the Taz. So he refers to him very nicely, Marie Chamizal. Uh, that the Maiser that we give doesn't is not an obligation We have all these Psukim that are quoted and so forth. So he says that for sure it's a Chi of Gomer. That's the question. When the Taz says it's a Chi of Gomer, does he mean that it's the Raisa? Does he mean that it's of the Rabbanim? So the Bach says, that it's uh, not to Raisa and it's not to Rabbanan. So the Chavos Yair, if you look in source 22, in the Simon Reish Chabdalit, in his, um, uh, in his uh, Teshubos, so he quoted from that the uh, Rav David uh, Oppenheim, who said uh, that um, it was, uh, that he thought that it was only, uh, that, that uh, he thought that it was uh, at the very least a Din to Rabbanan, and he doesn't understand uh, how you can justify how you can justify the Bach 
So he says uh, that uh, he thinks that it's not really such a uh, such a kasha. Look at the second paragraph of the Chavos Yar. This is Rav Yar Bechrach. So David Appenheimer's correspondent said that, ah, did the Bach not realize that this at an up in a Tosos? Did he not listen to the beginning of the Awakabura tonight? We quoted this Tostos that cited a Pasuk in Parshas Re'e to teach us the dinner Maisek Kesavim. How can you say that it's not at least an Asmachta, at least a, um, a Durabanan? So he says, nah, I don't think that that's such a Kasha. Look at the second line. That the reason why uh, it was, uh, that the reason why this assumption is that it's only uh, me, uh, that it's not even me Durabanan, um, he says that the even though Tosfos mentioned this mentioned this as Sifri, the reality is that we don't really have it mentioned elsewhere, and it's not found anywhere in Shas. You go through all of Shas. From beginning to end, from Brachos to Nida, you find no reference whatsoever to Maiser Ksopim. And if anything, when Chazal speak about Aser to Aser, as a Bishtei Masos, a custom Medaber, they learn that it's referring to you give Maiser Dogon and you give Maiser Behema. That you give Maiser with respect to your grains and you give Maiser with respect to your animals. You give one out of every ten animals. Well, it doesn't say anything anywhere about Maiser Midrabanim. And he says that. If you look at the Rambam, the Rambam who mentions every single derisa and every single derabanan does not mention this as a derisa or as a derabanan, and um, the and doesn't he talks about how you should not give more than a certain amount. We'll get to that. You shouldn't give more than twenty percent, and it's considered to be like a mida benonis. It's considered to be like an average share if you give uh, one ten. And if you give less, so then that's considered to be sort of a, a stingy amount. But he doesn't say that it's an Avera if you give less. So therefore, the Mashmal says that the Rabbim didn't hold that it was an actual Achiyuv either. And Ein Lom Din Halacha Lomi Pi Pirish Mishnayas. We don't learn the final Halacha from that which appears, which is not in the Gemara. The Lomi Natosos, Lomi Nagada. We don't, Lomi Natosetik says Lomi Nagada. We don't learn from the Agadita. So even though it's in the Sifri, it doesn't count as a binding, uh, it doesn't count as a binding source. And then finally, at the very end of the Chavos Yar, he says, Vidu Hayyam Midrabanan, Lahayyi Sor Kedoshim Mekilabat Shurakecha Meir Shnaim Mishpachon Yisarim Ba. Apparently, in the days of the Chavos Yar, he lived in Germany, he said that uh, if it was really a Chiyav, at least on a Drabanan level, then you would have at least one person, and then uh, you would uh, have many people in the city, in every single Jewish city, who would be observing this. But he said, maybe you find one person from any single village who does this, two people from every mishpacha uh, is keeping this, but it was not a widespread practice, certainly in his day, that people were keeping mysics up. him. so he says that it stands to reason that it probably is not a chiyav on a derais level or on a derabanan level. So if it's not a chiyav, on a derisa level, and it's not a chiv on a derabanan level. So what exactly is it? So you have to say it's basically a midas chasidus. It's basically a minotov. It's considered to be a good minog. Now there are two different ways 
in which you can understand something which is a good minag. It's a good minag to give at least one-tenth of the oil that you have for tzedakah. So one way to understand it is that, uh, and this is a Bible cone in his Badea Shulchan, which was one of the last, if not the last, but one of the last Sfarim that was published by Bible Kohn before his Petira a couple of years ago. He wrote the Badea Shulchan on Basavachalab, on Taruves, on Avelos, a lot of the very um, um, the famous Sfarim on Nida and Tfila, uh that came under the Badea Hashokan series by Revival Kohn. Uh, his, uh, his sister, um, uh, Shetichia, uh, lives right here in Chicago. That's Rebetzin uh, Liebenstein, lives right here in Chicago. So a Bible code, uh, uh, in his Sefer, he says that there are really four opinions. One opinion is that it's a deraisa, and then he quotes uh, from the Shara Priam that derives that, you know, from certainly one way to understand the Taz. Second is through abundance of David Oppenheim. Third, uh, third, and the, and the third opinion is that it's only Midin Minag, which is uh, how we understand the Bach. But within that third opinion, that it's only a Minag, he says, one way to understand that is that a Minag that was taken on by Klai Yisrael. And we could say if it was a Minag taken on by Klai Yisrael, so everybody who's born into Klai Yisrael, well, let's say you're born into a country where they took on that Minag, so you got to follow that Minag. It's like, I'm an Ashkenazi. So uh, I don't get to choose whether or not to eat kidney or some Pesach. If I'm, a, if I'm a born into the Ashkenazi community, so I have to keep a kidney or something. I can't just do Hataras to Dharm for myself. The entire Ashkenazi community would have to do Hataras to Dharm. So if you say that uh, entire the countries, every Jew came from Poland, Lithuania, or whatever, to, that, that uh, took on Maisek Sopim, there was an entire Medina, and you come from those Medina, so you, you kind of you, you have to take on Maisek Sopim. But he says that that would be sort of a third approach. But then he says that uh, there is a, um, but then there's a fourth approach, um, and the fourth approach is uh, that it is just a minatov with respect to, to any single individual who decides that they're going to take it on, but it's not something that a family took on, that a city took on, that all Klausel took on, and therefore every single person can make that determination whether they're going to take this minag upon themselves. And most, the vast majority, the vast majority of postgame hold like the opinion of the Bach and the, the, what we call the fourth uh, shita, which is that it's a minatov that is dependent upon any particular individual taking it on. This is something uh, that is held by Rabbi Yaakov Emden, the Abbots, the Chacham Tzvi, and certainly the Chabos Yaya that substantiated the, point, the, the view of the Bach, the Chsam Sofer, the Chabot Chaim and his Sefer, uh, Abbas Chesed, um, the Rav Chaim Kanievsky and his Sefer Derech Emuna, when he writes on Hilchos Matnos Aniyam Perik Zayin in the Rambam, they all say that basically the halacha is like the box. So this is kind of a, a very big revelation to a lot of people that Maizik Safim is actually neither Deraisa nor Derabana, nor is it even binding. The Chafetz Chaim makes the uh, suggestion, the recommendation, and you find this in the Imre Yosher of Rav Meir Arika as well, um, uh, that when a person first observes Maisek Safim for the first time, they decide, oh, I'm going to be very scrupulous uh, to give one-tenth of uh, what I earn up to Staka, the person should make like a verbal declaration, I am taking this upon myself, Beli Neder. Beli Neder. 
so that if it should happen any particular year the person doesn't do it, or they don't do it so perfectly, they're not going to get into trouble for violating an edda, which would be they don't want to, you don't want to be uh, in the category of Baal even if I say that it's, if it's not a din, mitzvah so maybe it's only Baal but still a violation of an edda, so that's a big deal, and you don't want to violate it, therefore the person should make a special point of saying that they're taking it upon themselves a believe nether. Nonetheless, it is a very a widely practiced and it's important to understand the parameters of what the uh, application of a Maisek Safim would entail, what would it include, what would it not include. So one big question is the outer limit. Maisek Safim means one-tenth. But you look at source six on page one, there was a special Takana that was made in Usha. What was the Takana that was made in Usha? The Sanhedrin was exiled a number of times after it left the Lishkasagazis in Yerushalayim. One of the places to which the Sanhedrin was exiled was in Usha. And in Usha, they made a bunch of Takanas. So one of the Takanas that they made in Usha was, that when you are extravagant with your money, it's good, fine. You want to give extra money to Aniyam, extra money to Stockholm, the nice thing. But don't give away more than 20% of your money or your earnings. Why not? Because maybe you will come to be needy yourself. You need to preserve a certain amount of income for yourself. If you give away too much, so then you might end up being at the mercy of the benefactors of society yourself. So therefore you have to take care of yourself. First take care of your take care of yourself. In fact, the uh, Ramah indicates in Simon Reish Nun Aleph in Hilchos Tzedakah that if a person basically ju- just barely has upon what to subsist, there if they gave away any money, then they would uh, basically uh, become uh, a uh, charge of society. Um, and they would not uh, be able to take care of themselves. Uh, so then such a person shouldn't give Maiserk Safim. Such a person really is not included within whatever this din is. We assume Amidas Chasidus Minog that they, uh, w- it would not be proper um, uh, for somebody, them uh, to uh, pl- place themselves into that predicament. Yes. What if somebody loses money for the year? Their business, uh, whatever, you know, it's a bad year and they... they have a loss. Well, if they have a loss, uh, so then there's nothing really to uh, to discuss. Well, my my success often goes on whatever income, but sometimes a person might make a, an income in which they're... It's a good question. Let's say a person makes a, just a poverty-level income. That's what the Ramah is talking about, where they just uh, barely have enough to get by eating just the, the, the bread and salt and sleeping on the floor every single day. So then uh, such a person uh, would not be obligated or would not be included within this notion of my success. And let's say a person is a successful businessman and he's making you know profits, but he's also making losses and so forth. So then there's a whole question, which hopefully we'll get to, as to how one makes a cheshbo and how one makes a calculation regarding how to offset profits against losses for any given year. And uh, according to some authorities, the best thing is, every time there's a business transaction, a person should just give miser on any particular transaction. So they make some money, 
offer a transaction, they should give money, and then it could be their next transaction, they'll lose money, but the money that they already gave, so that was Maisa that they were supposed to give. And according to other authorities, the a good idea, and the Nodah Behuda talks about this, and the Chafetz Chaim talks about this, and the Abbas Chesed, is that you make one giant tabulation either every half year or every or at the end, the conclusion of every full year, and you say at that point in time, let me look at all of my transactions, let's see what the let's see what the gains were, let's see what the losses were, and if the losses outweigh the gains, so there's nothing to give on, and if the gains outweigh the losses, there is something to give on. But a person could conceivably, if they did it in two different times during the course of the year, so it could be that at the beginning of the year, they uh, made uh, 300000 and they lost $200,000, so they give Maisa on $100,000, they give $10,000. And then, when it comes to the rest of the year, um, uh, they made $200,000 and they lost $500,000, so they give absolutely nothing. But if they would add up the $500,000 and the $200,000 that they lost from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, it'll turn out that they didn't actually make more money over the course of the entire year than the amount that they lost, but still, because of the fact that we're splitting it up into these two different periods, the amount of mice of the $10,000 that they gave in the first half of the year still sticks. It doesn't get erased. It doesn't get eradicated afterwards. Okay, so it's complicated exactly how you make cheshbonos, but you could do it once a year, twice a year, or by transaction, different ways in which you can make, in which you can make the cheshbonos. Now, the, um, as the question is, um, according to uh, this uh, Takana of Usha, and uh, this is derived according to uh, the Gemara from the Pasuk for Cholashirti Tenli, that very same Pasuk with respect to Yaakov, Aser, Aserenu, Lach, I'm going to give Aser plus Aserenu, as we said, one ten plus one ten equals one, e- equals one fifth. So uh, are there, and are there any exceptions uh, to uh, this, uh, to this rule? And uh, another question might be, is this a l'chatzkilo or b'dievet? Like when we say, you shouldn't give more than 20%, but does that mean you should, however, give 20%? Or does it mean, well, you should give 10%, but if you're really, really generous, so you can give up to 20%, but don't give more than that. The, the Babli indicates, well, don't give more than 20%. And we have that Sifri, the Tosros had quoted, indicating that uh, the amount that we kind of ask people to give, or we aspire to give, as a minotov at the very least, is a 10%. But we don't say, oh, try to give 20%. We don't say that to people. We just say, oh, if you happen to feel very generous, just make sure not to give more than 20%. It happens that the Ushami indicates uh, that uh, the way that the Ushami articulates that the Kanas Usha is that the Usha, they said, you should give 20%. That sounds like you actually should try to give uh, 20%. If you look at the Shulchan Aruch, the way that it's articulated, there's only one sip really in all of Shulchan Arach that articulates the exact, um, precise definition of a Maisir Ksafim and talks about Shia Nesinasa. It says, how much is a person really supposed to give for its stockum? This is Sif Aleph in Simon Reish Memtes. Sif Bey says, by all means, don't give less than a Shlisha Sashekha. But this is Sif Aleph. How much ideally should you give? Um, if you're, uh, you have the wherewithal, give according to what the Aniyam need. And if you don't have uh, so much to give, so give up to 20% mitzvah in a mufkar. That's considered to be the ideal mitzvah. If you give one-tenth, that's like what an average person gives. 
Pachos mitan, if you give less than that, eye and raw, that's considered to be like a bad eye, you're on the stingy side. Chomish says, this one fifth, so the first thing you do is you get your money to begin with, so you give one tenth of the money that you got. And with respect to, to that which you invest from the original money that you received, so you're then investing money, so then you're only giving a 10% afterwards on the profits, but not on the principle, because you already gave on the principle. Says the Ramah, the Ramah adds in this general rule, but don't give away more than one fifth because then you might become needy. So the Rambam already in the parish of Mishnayos seems to have a little bit of a discussion regarding this idea of whether 20%, whether one fifth is considered to be the ideal. And uh, there are different statements that the Rama makes in various places. At the end of Hilchos Erechin, in his Mishnah Torah, he says, if you're going to dedicate or consecrate your belongings, don't consecrate more than one-fifth. He brings Takanasusha in that context, but not so much in the context of regular Tzedakah. He says that the first Mishnah in Masechus Peah talks about things that don't have a shear. They don't have a measurement, they don't have an outer limit. What's one thing that doesn't have an outer limit? Right? But also Gminos Chasadim. Also doing acts of kindness. So he says, Ramukash Gminos Chasadim ain't Lashir. What does it mean it doesn't have an outer limit? That means what you're doing with your body. But when it comes to with your money, then there is a shear, there is a boundary, and what's that? So in the parish of Mishnayas, the Raman brings this idea that you're not supposed to, that there's, there's a gavul in terms of how much you give of your money for kindness, you give 20%. Listen to this line in the Raman. You're not obligated to give more than one fifth mamonu. Unless you're doing it as an extra act of kindness. But wait a second, isn't like giving stuck in this extra amount to begin with sort of in that midas chasidus? So what does it mean? It's, we had thought that when the Takanas Usha was promulgated, you can't give more than one fifth. That meant even as a midas chasidus, even if you think you're going to be like a really, really nice guy, don't give more than one fifth because you're going to get yourself into trouble. But here the Rama says, no, you could do that. You could do that. The Amru, and here he quotes the version of the Yushami, not the Babli. Then in Usha they decide a person should give one fifth. So it sounds like the Rabbim is saying, give one fifth, and if you are sort of in a Midas Chasidus type of mood, um, then give, you can give more than one fifth. But then the Rabbim kind of clarifies a little bit. He says, Shavuyim, you see people who are captives, you see, and you have to redeem them, or you see people who are starving, so then you should really give the person as much as you're able to, as much as you're able to give, uh, and it's not going to be a chait if you don't give more than, uh, if you don't give more than one fifth. But it sounds a little bit like this is the situation where the Rambam is saying that it would be a midas chasidus that you can you can give more than you can give more than a fifth. If you look at the Rambam in Matan Hilkos Matnas and Iim Parikzayin so here also the Rambam says something similar to what he indicated in the Parish of Mishnayos. You see, like a captive, you see somebody who's very poor, you see somebody who's naked and doesn't have any clothing. Bahe Ani, the Ani comes to you, Bashal De Maksaro, and really needs a lot. So 
So he says, so you give the mitzvah in a mufkar, what's considered to be the ideal mitzvah, is that you give 20% of your possessions and, um, to, uh, and if one fifth, and one tenth you have and pokos is ayin and of course you have to give at least the shlishis shekel he has all of that. So if you look at the chidah, the berke Yosef, which is source twelve, so the chidah tries to sort of make sense as to when it is that there's a preference that you should give one fifth. And when it is that one-fifth is considered to be kind of when you're being particularly uh, generous. So he says uh, that uh, based on uh, the way that the Rambam described his uh, situation in the Perush HaMishnayos, look at the second line of the Birke Yosef. When you have this uh, type of a situation the Rambam describes, that, in, that right in front of you, you have uh, the people who are so needy, the people who are naked without clothing, the people who are re'evim, uh, who are starving, uh, the people who are captives. So then, you should really give one bit. And that's the Yushami that says, And the Rabbah, holds that what that's going on is when you have these situations of tremendous need that are in front of you, that are right in front of your eyes. Go down about three lines, beginning of the line. And if the person is moved by generosity and he wants to add more than the one bit, so then that would be considered to be umidas chasidusi. That would be umidas chasidus. And when is it that we say that the normal shear is one-tenth and it's just the mizas chasidus is that you go up until one pit but not more than one pit. So then he says that that is a talking about when you don't have um, a poor people that are in front of you. Um, that when you don't have four people who are in front of you, Allah Bamu, uh, then in such a case, it says that Mairi, look at uh, the uh, four lines from the bottom, fourth word, Mairi when you're just giving without the, the tremendous, uh, the people with the tremendous needs right in front of you. Dumya the Ramam is talking about people who consecrate their property where there's no, uh, there's no urgent need. And in that situation, it says that you don't give more than one bit. So the Chavetz Chaim in his Sefer Avaschest, to look at source 13 on page 3, this Chavetz Chaim utilizes this as one of the exceptions, this whole analysis that we just saw within the Rambam. Um, he has, that's why you see that in the first line of the Avaschest, there were four asterisks followed by an end parentheses mark. So that's a really long footnote in which the Chofetz Chaim has a very similar analysis in the Rambam that we just saw in the Chita. So if you want to take a look at your Abbas Chesed in your home library. But the, he says basically that this would be an exception. What we derive from here is that we uh, would allow this as an exception to the don't give more than one-fifth rule that if there is like an emergency situation in front of you, you have to redeem a captive, something like that, an emergency situation in front of you and there's nobody else to do it, or you know that there are people who have dire needs within your community, look at the second line of the Chafetz Chaim, then you could give, then you could give more. Then he says that, that, um, that you can, um, so then you have an absolute obligation 
um, to give up until one uh, up until one fifth, uh, and uh, th- that would be uh, that it's not considered to be like an extra uh, level of generosity. But then he says that you would really have to give uh, the up until the one fifth, like that interpretation of uh, the Rambam, and presumably uh, there would also be uh, room uh, to, uh, to to give more if you have the if you have the ability if you have the ability to give more in those uh, situations. There are. Let me just give sure. a few other. Ex- yeah, go ahead. The basic problem I have with this whole thing is it's talking about income and not wealth. So if I'm retired and all I yes. have is maybe dividends and Social Security, I may have a large amount of money, and you're telling me I can only give 20% of my income. Well, I'm not done yet. I'll give you okay. more instructions <laughs> as to when you can give more of your money. So the Chokmah Sadam tells you, it answers your question directly, and that's source 23 on page 5. So it says the Chokmah Sadam, Ashim Muflog. If you have an Ashir Muflog, uh, a really, really gigantically wealthy person who earned a lot of money during the course of their life, now they're just getting dividends and they're, you know, basically going back and forth between their condo in Miami Beach and, you know, their house in Chicago and their home in Yerushalayim and whatever, and they have plenty and plenty of assets, Baruch Hashem, you know, uh, that we, 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 should, we should all be so fortunate. Such a person is permitted to give away more than one-fifth of his possessions. Why? Because he can really afford it. It's only the person who's not really very wealthy that we say that such a person should only give up until uh, one-fifth and not more than that. Now, Rav Moshe Feinstein, if you uh, take a look, at uh, the um, at, at source twenty four, so he asked was asked this question about Takanas Is it an Isser or just an Eitzatova? When we say you shouldn't give away more than one fifth, so is that an, a prohibition or is that just good advice? Is that just good mm-hmm. advice? So he says, well, the truth of the matter is that, that there are different opinions that say that you are allowed for certain circumstances to give away more. Like he quotes the Shita Mikubesis, Shita Mikubesis says that if it's for the purpose of Haksaka Satayra, and the Chafetz Chaim quotes this as well, if it's for the purpose of strengthening Torah institutions, so then you know what? Then you're allowed to give away more than one-fifth of your possessions, even if you don't, you're not an Ashim Even if you're not super-duper wealthy, you would be allowed to give away more than one-fifth of your possessions for that, uh, for that purpose. But, he says the Ramah did not have any kind of an exception. If you go back to, you know, the source that we, uh, that we brought in the Shulchan Aruch itself, which was a source uh, 11, the Ramah simply said, He didn't say, unless you're Nashim Muflag, unless it's for Aksaka Satayra, unless the Aniyam are right in front of your eyes. He just said, no, you can't, you can't do it. So says Ramosha Feinstein, you know what? Um, this is, uh, it sounds like, Akopadim Ramosha Kasov, by the second to last line of Ramosha, Akopadim Ramosha Kasov, by Yvazi Zosim Echomish Bitstaka, Polig, he argues with all of these exceptions, it sounds like, Misovish Yasser, he holds that it's Mamish Yasser, he holds that you, you're not allowed to do it. Akopadim, therefore, he says, bottom line, Lemaisa, Ain Levazi Zosim Echomish, you should never give more than one fifth of your possessions. Im lo the chashash pikuach nefesh. If not, if not for the, uh, a situation where there's mamish pikuach nefesh, we have to save a life. To save a life, you, uh, you should give away all of your money if it's necessary to save a life. Uh, but uh, other than that, he says uh, that he seems to hold that it's mamish. Uh, he seems to hold it's mamish in Issa. But you just said possessions. 
Not income. Uh, income. You shouldn't give away... Well, yes, it's true, but, I, but to save somebody's life, you should right. give away over your possessions. Right. In Okinami. So I'm saying, Kavachomer. So you give away all your possessions, you certainly can give away more than 20% of your income in such a situation. Now, another response to your question is that this person didn't get off scot-free because the idea that the person's only giving an income was because at the beginning, when the person first earned the principle of that money, the person did my, give my six up at that point in time. We're not going to require um, a, a double jeopardy situation where the person has to give twice, unless the person didn't have the money in the first place. So this was something that the Shlok points out. We mentioned, I get, we get Shilos. I got, I got the Shilos once this past year. We get it probably once a year. Somebody gets a nice big Yerusha and they figure, well, this is, maybe there was good tax planning that went into it and somehow they were exempt from having to pay estate taxes. They figure, this is like tax-free. It was tax-free from Uncle Sam's perspective. Maybe it's tax-free <laughs> from uh, the Torah perspective as well. So they call up and say, do I have to pay my six up him on, on Yerusha? So the answer is, as the Shlop points out, yes. Uh, so they say, ah, but the person who was Moish, the money already took taxes, so already took my six up him. When uh, the person who passed away, who was the testator, um, received all this money, received all this income, uh, this person, let's say, was very observant, very devout. They kept all the mistress and they kept my six of them. They already paid my six of them. So isn't that charging twice on the same money? So uh, the explanation is uh, that, no, it's not considered to be charging twice on the same money because it's not a chova on the kesef. It's a, a chova on the, um, on the, on the, on the, on the goof of the person. It's the individual who has the obligation to uh, pay the money. And uh, therefore, even if, if you take a look, this is the ties, so getting, jumping out a little bit, but that's fine, uh, because it came up in the context of this conversation. Look at uh, source 38, okay? After the Chafetz Chaim, it says, Gam So I juxtapose that with uh, the Taz, who gives a sort of this explanation when uh, there is, uh, for example, some money, a dowry, that's given by a father of the chassan to his son when the son gets married. And the question is, is there maisa that needs to be taken? So he says, I've seen some say, that maybe that which the kala brings into the marriage, fine, you have to take maisa, but what the father of the chassan is giving, you don't need to because he already took the obligation is not on the money, that the money is now part of it. No, it's a chovah's gavr. It's not a chovah's moment. The chovah is on the goof of the person. It's a chovah's gavr that the individual who receives this money for the first time has to take it. So even though the money already had stuck a taken off of it when a new person receives it, so they have to take Miser at that point in time. Satas gets very upset at anybody who has that idea. And the Shlach says the same thing with respect to a Yerusha, that of course it's necessary to take Miser from a Yerusha. Now of course it's a separate question, that Yerusha might consist of a certain monies, 
Uh, but it also might consist of a person receives a property. They might receive a house. They might receive an expensive watch or expensive jewelry. They have to take miser on the expensive jewelry. So there is a little bit of a discussion amongst the postgame as uh, to whether this is required or not. The Derech Emuna, Chaim Kanievsky, quotes uh, from his uh, uncle, I guess, uh, the, the, Chazun, the, uh, the Chazunish, thinks that's right. He quotes from the Chazan Ish, who said that uh, it is not necessary. The minig is not to take uh, from gifts that are not money. It's only when you convert it into money, when you sell it and you get money, at that point in time, you would take, you would take Meiser. Some say that if you would have bought that item yourself with the money that you have, so then you should give Meiser on it, but not if it's something that you wouldn't have bought yourself or you would have bought a cheaper version of it, so then you only pay the Meiser on the amount that you would have paid. Uh, but I think the Minagaolam is uh, that, uh, not everyone would agree with this, but I think the Minagaolam is uh, that we generally do not take Meiser on objects until it's converted uh, into money, until it becomes, uh, it becomes liquid. Yes? The question on this Taz. So yes. If I'm giving $1,000 to my son-in-law to live on, I'm not wanting him to take some of that money and give it to his daughter. I can give it out tonight that it doesn't, that my suffering is not to be taken off this, no? Um, well, you raise a very interesting point, and none other than Ramosha Feinstein dealt with this question in his, uh, in, in his Chuvos, Chalik base, Yeridea Simon Kuf Yud base. It's not in the materials, in the materials I have Kuf Yud Gimel. So I was hoping no one would think of this, but it turned out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So in, so in Simon Kuf Yud base, he actually um, discusses this question. What if the, it was given with the explicit tonight, the explicit condition that you better not use this money that I'm giving you uh, to pay, to use one-tenth as my succumbent because then I'm going to have to just support you a lot more because you're not going to have the money that you need in order to get by. So that's called the Matana al A person can make a Matana al You look at source 40. Which is the Shulchan Arach Hoshim Mishpat Hukos Matana Simon Reishimim Aleph Sifhei that Yishmi Shomer Shenosi Matana Machaveru Ena Matana. There are those who say if you give a gift to somebody, it don't doesn't count unless the person could do whatever they want with the gift. However, that's not true across the board. If the gift is given without any details and without any limitations. But a person spells out, they spell out in the gift, this is only a gift for you to do A, B, and C, but not to do anything else. Um, and then even if there are strings attached, or even you say this is only a gift if you use it specifically for the following purpose and not for anything else. So then it's considered to be a matana only for those purposes and not for anything else. Okay? So if I um, give you a house, the house is for living in. So says the, well, the house, a different story. We already said that if it's an object and not money, so You're then the, the, so then the quotes the is saying you don't have to give Meisav at that moment in time. Look at the Seifet Stakul Mishpat. Seifet Stakul Mishpat, um, which is a classic, which is a classic in the, uh, which, uh, in the uh, realm of Sfarim on Meisav Ksafim. 
uh, written by Rav uh, Yeshaya Blau, the, the author of Piskei uh, Piskei Koshin, Bris Yehuda, a number of uh, very uh, wonderful uh, works, uh, mostly in the realm of Dine, uh, Dine Mominus, but also a Chobos Hadar and Ochus Mezuzah, really a, a sensational, sensational Mechaber. So in his Sefer, at Stocko Mishba, so he, uh, told, so he writes in one of his Ha'aros, says, when we call Makom, me nire, that if you have a gift which is given specifically for the purpose not to, to be ma'asir, not to take a ma'asir stop him on it, even if a large monetary gift, that you're not allowed to depart from the instructions of the nosin, that they're giving you this gift specifically so to use during, for, towards a particular purpose, to support you in kolo, whatever it is, they're, they're giving you this to pay your expenses. So if you're going to get my suffering, you're not going to be able to support your family. You're not going to be able to pay the uh, the, the expense, and then they'll have to just give you more money. So therefore, um, that then he says, in such a particular case, um, that you should not take my suffering in order to abide by the instructions. And Ramosha writes similarly with respect to a dowry that's given to support, like, or money that's given to support a son and daughter-in-law so that they can get by in the living in their uh, in the kolel um, uh, for uh, however many years, that the same principle would apply. Uh, and he quotes, he cites from that halakha in Shulchan Aruch that we just uh, that we just quoted. Ella, but he does add, he does add in fairness, he does add, but if he does have some money uh, elsewhere, he has some other source of income, um, mm-hmm. and uh, has the ability to use other funds for my six um, then the person would be obligated to, let's say that the, the condition is given to you, but you happen to, even though the person gave you on that condition, they don't want their funds uh, to be depleted to my six but it happens that the people are doing well enough that they would be able to pay money from other funds, and then he says that you really should under those circumstances. And the person doesn't have a rebelah, then the person will be potter. I got this uh, question with respect uh, to uh, the um, stimulus uh, payments that were made during COVID for people to be able to pay their basic expenses. So one of the shyless that we got was, are they obligated to take Maisek Sopim on this amount? So I said that if the amount is really pigeonholed or it's targeted specifically to be able to pay your rent, to be able to pay your mortgage, or to for very specific expenses. That's the, the nature of the money that's given to you. And if you would take my six up in from it, then you wouldn't be able to make those expenses. And then it thwarts the whole purpose of the gift giver, of the government that's giving you this money for that purpose. So then you wouldn't have to pay. But if you happen to be independently wealthy, it's just that they are not distinguishing between different individuals. They're just giving it to everybody in the city. So then there would be room based on this last line of what it says in the Stocko Mishpa to, 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 to pay my six open. Yes? The Rav started out the Habura that there's four different pigeon molds, the Raisa, the Abona, and the Bach, or the fourth piece of the Bach. So is this consistent with all, I mean, is this consistent with all of them? Is this consistent only with number three or four? And if it's number three or four, then it's not a Chiyuv in the first place. Yes, but it becomes a Chiyuv that a person, let's say a person didn't say Belineder, so then it becomes a Chiyuv. Even if a person said Belineder, but they want to follow the uh, the, the, the guidelines of my six of him, so then it's important for them. It's a very good question. 
they need to know what the guidelines are in order to fulfill the mitzvah properly. There are all kinds of brachos, as we saw from the Tosfos, all kinds of brachos that come from keeping my six open. So you want to do it correctly. And so therefore it's important to know what's included and what's not included. You don't get to just pick and choose but by yourself. Oh, well it's not a chiv anyway, so do, that, that's if you're not keeping my six up. A person decides not to keep my six up, so they can decide, okay, they're not going to uh, pay any of these amounts altogether. But this is for a person who wants to fulfill the mitzvah, my six up him, which is, um, it's a very, very big deal. You know the Chazonish, who held, uh, like all these other shitos, uh, that uh, it's a midas chasidus, I don't think the Chazonish was an outlier here, but he very much recommended and encouraged and urged people that they should keep my six up him because it's such a big deal. So, therefore, you do want to do it correctly. Uh, but it's an excellent question. Two questions. Yes, sir, Rizal. All right. Um, first question is, uh, if you were, say, to invest in a fund, let's say, and your kavana, when you do it, is that whatever profits I get on this fund, I'm going to give to my children. A direct idea, but it's coming to me to distribute to my children, have a kavana on that, would I have to give my successful on that first before I give to my children because that was my kavana. So that's my first question on two. It's a very right. So that's also an excellent question. But the but the answer is that if it's sitting with you at this point in time, so then you really should have to give my six up into uh, you. You really have to give my six up into, unless you designate it in such a way that it sort of just automatically goes to them. Right, right, uh, but right, otherwise, right. you would have to give you would have to give, give my six up. The second thing is wedding gifts. When a couple gets married. The kavanah of the people who give the gift is to help them get started in their in their lives because they don't have anything. And and are, are they obligated to take that wedding gift and, and give uh, my stuff about? I think that objects. Well, that again is objects. No, well, it depends. If I'm giving, if I'm giving from their marriage, from their wedding registry, right? If I'm from the gift registry, so then they don't have to give my six up in pashtus because it's it, it, at least according to many authorities, they don't have to give my six up until they convert it into money. Right. It's interesting if you hold like those deos that say, well, if they would have bought it anyway. Uh, so, but maybe, but, but maybe, yeah, they would have bought it anyway if they had the money. But they don't have the money. That's why they're asking to put it on the gift registry. So, I, I think this, the, the struggle argument and probably the more common practice is not to give mice if they don't have the money. Mice itself. If they would sell it and get money from it to make a garage sale, so they get peanuts anyway. So, but whatever they're going to get, so they can give mice itself at that at that point in time. Uh, but uh, but uh, but otherwise uh, there, there's no mice there's no mice up him on the actual gifts and as far as money is concerned so then really it would have to be with a stipulation let's say that somebody was a good friend of the family and they said we really because how many monetary gifts do they get I guess they get the various gifts hundred twenty thousand whatever but a person wants to give a five thousand dollar gift a twenty thousand dollar gift for the young couple. And it really is for the purposes of enabling them to get on their feet. They really should stipulate, I don't want you taking my six up. They don't stipulate, so then it becomes a much more difficult child. Then Pashtus is that they really would have to give my six up under those circumstances. That would be Pashtus. Yeah, okay. Uh, so are there any other exceptions to the one-fifth rule? So there's one exception I heard from my Rebbe, uh, of Rosh Hashanah Shlita, and this you find in the Balatanya in his Igeras Hachuvah, which is that, let's say the person is not just giving the money for the, pur- for the purpose of helping out Aniyim, for the purpose of helping out poor people, but they're giving the money because they need a kapara, because they've done such terrible averos in their life, so they need a kapara. They're afraid that they're not going to get a good judgment when the Rosh Hashanah comes if uh, they do not uh, 
make take some serious actions of Shuba Tfilut Staka, Mavirinus Roa Gizela, Staka Tatsil Mimavis. So therefore, they feel just like a person, if they need a life-saving operation, they would give all of their money. They would give all of their money for that life-saving operation just to remain alive. If a person's giving their stalker to remain alive because they just have such serious virus that they need to do major tshuva, so then under those circumstances, the Balatanya says that the same way, person would give everything that they have to save their life. They can also give everything uh, for purposes of stalker. So that's another important exception. Now, there's another exception. Another exception which comes up a lot in terms of shilas that we get for people who are involved with estate planning, which is when a person um, reaches Me'abe Esrim, so it's time to move on to the next world. person leaves in their will how much money they're giving away. So how much money are they allowed to give in terms of their estate to Tzedakah? So the answer is they can give more than 20%. This is the Gemara that involves the Mar'ukva. Just to take a look quickly, which is the Gemara in Kisubos regarding Mar'ukva, which we will find, hopefully. And uh, that Gemara tells us that when Ma'ukva was about to, to die, anybody who finds it gets a special prize, uh, that's uh, when, when Ma'ukva was about to die, so he said that, uh, this is the source 14, excellent. Let me see how much we have. So he saw how much uh, money there was uh, that they had given to Tzedakah. He says, I need to give a lot more. I have sparse provisions and a long journey ahead. So he gave us, so therefore, he gave 50% of his money to Tzedakah. 50% of his money he dedicated to give right then and there to Tzedakah. That's only during lifetime. When it comes to when a person passes on, so then they can give more than 20%. How much should they give? Rabbi Kiva Eger quotes a Shiltos at source 16, who says that give up to one third, and the rest should go to the heirs. The Arach HaShokhan in source 17, Simon Reish Memtesa Sip Aleph, says that Ad Mechza Yachol Lechalek Litztaka, Zel Kecholek Im Yorsha, Mechza Lod Nishmaso, or Mechza Yorsha. He says that. You have to have a, some a sort of a fair apportionment between the stalker and the heirs. So 50% to the heirs and up to 50% uh, can be given in a tzedakah. You look at Moshe Feinstein, Moshe Feinstein has two different shuvos in which he basically says, no, you can basically give everything away in a tzedakah. There's no reason to have any kind of limitation. Look at the Ramon, source 15. About Bishas Moshe, Yachol Adam, retain tzedakah, give whatever he wants. He didn't say call mamono, he said call mashiyotze, because the person's not supposed to be a buriat santa, you're not supposed to deprive your heirs of Yerusha, so therefore you leave a little bit to the heirs. So Moshe says, yeah, you can give each of the heirs a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars, he wrote this in the 1960s, maybe now for inflation you have to adjust. So you give each one of the heirs a thousand dollars, perfectly fine to give everything else to Tzedakah. So we will continue. So those are the, some of the exceptions to this rule of not giving more than one fifth. We'll continue, Mr. Shem, a lot more to discuss, but that's why we devoted uh, two shiurim to this particular subject. Are you aware of the Supreme Court, Rabbi? Are you, are you aware of the Supreme Court case right now with more? 
It's a very important court case. They're here to hear you.